Kitty Genovese was murdered March 13, 1964, before 37 witnesses who didn't do anything to help. Uh, when the neighbours were asked why they didn't intervene or why they didn't call the police, uh, some of their answers were, I didn't want to get involved. Frankly, we were afraid. Or, I was tired. I went back to bed. So many people witnessing injustice. Nobody doing anything about it. Our psychologists call this the bystander effect. That is where, where people in a situation where they see something, where they could... What a travesty. Kitty Genovese... I can't really speak for her, but I imagine that she would have loved for someone to intervene. Even just one of those 37 witnesses. And if they had, maybe a great injustice would not have occurred. Alice Springs has been in the news this week a lot. Why? Because the community, the media... They want some intervention. They want the government to intervene to solve the crime crisis, the alcohol crisis, the domestic violence crisis. They want someone to do something to fix the evil they see every day, to deal with the wickedness and the injustice and the suffering. We have similar thoughts and moments like that in Kununurra, don't we? We'd love for someone to intervene and just to fix all of the problems. It may be that this morning you're here and you yourself are suffering at the hands of some evil. You'd love for someone to intervene. You want someone to bring justice. Well, that is the case of the psalmist who penned Psalm 94. He wants someone to intervene in the evil plots against him and against God's people. Now, Psalm 94 is one of the songs of God's people. It's not simply a, a cry from the psalmist, but it is a song. It's a, it was a song sung by God's people. It was the, the psalms are the hymn book of Israel. But they're also God's songs. The, the lyrics are breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God and have been preserved for us. They are songs sung by God and fulfilled in Christ. And this song is a song that desires for God to intervene and to thwart the plans of the wicked. And I'm sure you would agree that the first verse of Psalm 94 is striking. The Lord is a God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Or I think it's even more striking in the SV. O Lord, the God of vengeance. That's not how we often talk about God, is it? We, we often talk about God being a God of love, of compassion, of mercy, of righteousness, of justice, but of vengeance, a God who avenges. Yet here in God's divinely spirit-breathed word, God describes himself as a God of vengeance. And so what we see today in Psalm 94 And what we will see is that actually this is a good thing and it will help us to draw closer to Christ as our rock and our refuge. And we're going to break this psalm down into four questions to, to help us work through it. Uh, why does the Lord avenge? Is the Lord aware of the wicked? What about God's people? 
And when will the Lord avenge? So let's start with why does God need to avenge? Why does the psalmist implore God to shine forth and avenge? Or in verse 2, to rise up, O judge of the earth. It is the psalmist here who is wanting God to act. He's desperately wanting God to intervene, to make a wrong situation right. It's a situation caused by wicked people. Verse 3 says, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? The wicked, in verse 2, are proud. In verse 4, they speak arrogantly, boasting about all that they do. Uh, I think they're a bit like the criminals on TikTok who record them doing their crime for the world to see. They want the world to know what they have done. And the nature of the crimes that they have been committing are truly terrible. In verse 5, they crush God's people. They impress God's inheritance. God's inheritance through the Bible is his people. And here the psalmist is one of those people being crushed. In verse 6, the wicked are killing the weak, the widow, the foreigner, the orphan. Far from being like Jesus, who always considered others better than himself, these people are putting their own desires, their own wants, before anyone else's. And the psalmist is suffering. He wants God to do something, to intervene, to rise up and avenge. And when we see evil in the world, that's what we want too, isn't it? We want justice. When we see evil, and especially when we are the ones affected or the people who are close to us who are affected, we want to see it avenged. We want justice. And it's a travesty when that justice goes unpunished. Why does the psalmist call out to God to avenge? Well, because there is wickedness. There is injustice. There are people suffering. And, in fact, if God just stood by and did nothing, that would make God heartless, wouldn't it? A God who is apathetic, a God who is just like those 37 bystanders who did nothing. That is not a God who you would want to call out to. That would make him weak. But God is not like that. Our God acts. The psalmist prays, shine forth, rise up, and he prays with confidence because he knows what God is like. He knows that God is a God of vengeance. The wicked, though, the wicked have actually believed a lie about God. They are living, believing that God is exactly like the 37 bystanders who did nothing. Have a look at verse 7. They say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob takes no notice. They don't think that God cares. They are living their life as if God is not there. And when a group of people live as if God is not there, wickedness abounds. Because they become the deciders of what they think is good and what they think is right. Thinking that whatever they do will have no consequences. Now the uncomfortable part of this psalm for us here this morning is not that God is a God of vengeance. It's actually that sometimes we are the wicked. 
Maybe we don't murder. But we live like God's not watching. We live like we're the ones who get to decide what is right and wrong and not God. We indulge in evil thoughts. We make selfish decisions. We live in that moment thinking that God isn't going to notice. And and so we join that gossip. We make excuses for ignoring God's word. We sin and think, oh, God won't mind. Maybe even boast about it. And say, I'm not one of those pious Peters who has to follow every rule and law. I'm one of those more relaxed Christians. I'm a bit more comfortable with my sin. And if you're thinking those thoughts, maybe underneath those thoughts is the belief that God doesn't see, that God doesn't notice. Just like the wicked in verse 7. And so there is wicked, there is evil in our world. And God needs to avenge that. And so we come now to our second question. Is God aware of the wicked that needs avenging? Is it possible that the wicked are right, that God doesn't notice, that God doesn't care? James Eaton was a friend of Adoniram Judson. He was the first missionary to Burma, which is now Myanmar. And James Eaton, what is called a deist, and a deist believes that God is there, but that God doesn't intervene in our world, doesn't really care about our world kind of set the world in motion as just letting it be. And James was trying to convince Adoniram to give up on God. And he was successful. And one night, Adoniram, he was in a hotel, and the owner came and apologised for him because in the room next door there were people coming in and going out and the owner explained that the man in the room next door was very sick. Well, the next morning, Adoniram was checking out and he asked about uh, the sick man in the room next door and he was told that he'd passed away. And then as a second thought, he asked what the name of that man was and the name was James Eaton, his friend. And that night, Adoniram realised that the way that James Eaton was living, thinking that God was not there and that God did not care, was wrong, that James was wrong. And that started his trajectory of giving his life to Christ and becoming a missionary in Burma. And the fact that James is wrong is exactly what the psalmist affirms here in verse 8. In verse 8, he addresses the wicked. He says, Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? See, from God's perspective, living as if God is not there is utterly senseless. It is foolish. Uh, one commentator translated this verse, understand this, you dunderheads among the people. It is a foolish thing to believe. Why? Because in verse 9, does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines the nations not punish? Does he who teach mankind lack knowledge? God is God. Of course God sees. Of course God hears. God is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. In Psalm 139, the psalmist asks, Where shall I flee from your presence? And concludes that wherever he goes, whether to the depths of the oceans or even to the place of the dead, God will be there. God is there, of course he is. But not only can God see and hear, God knows the plans of the human heart in verse 11. 
The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are all futile. God knows the secret sins of everyone. Have you ever had that situation where you've just hoped that something that you've done might remain hidden or unnoticed? Maybe you've made a mistake at work and you've just hoped your boss or the person that you're working for won't notice. Or you, you tell a lie and you hope that it won't be uncovered and the truth will be revealed. Well, that can't happen with God. You can't hide. He knows our plans. He knows our intentions. He knows our actions. And he knows wickedness as well firsthand. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, became a human. And his life was one where he died at the hands of wicked men. We're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus was killed at the hands of wicked men. This plot wasn't a surprise to God. He knew the hearts of man. And actually, it was because of the wickedness in our world that Jesus came into our world to die. Jesus knows evil. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be in the psalmist's shoes, crying out to God, shine forth, God of vengeance, rise up. Jesus endured mocking and boasting. He was God's perfect person and he was crushed and he was betrayed he was framed he was tortured and he was hung on to die on a cross in the most terrible way and god knew god is aware of the wicked that we are doing at any time and place he experienced it firsthand and so god does know what needs avenging he does notice And so we come to our third question. Well, what about God's people while we wait for God's vengeance? Well, we can gain insight from the experience of the psalmist here. The psalmist knows that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the evil hands of the wicked, that God has not forsaken him. It's not like God has put suffering in the too hard basket. He hasn't left the psalmist alone. In fact, the psalmist is able to say in verse 12 that he is blessed. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. He knows that he is blessed because in spite of suffering at the hands of the wicked, he is taught from God's law. And actually the psalmist sees his suffering as, a, as discipline. Now the psalmist knows Proverbs 3 verse 2 where it says the Lord disciplines those he loves. See, God uses the suffering that we go through as his people to make us more godly, to take the sharp edge off our pride and off our sin and blunt it so that we would be people who humbly seek him, who rest in him and give him glory. And God is totally aware of whatever suffering or hard situation that we might be going through. And he provides help. The psalmist in verse 13, 
says that God provided relief. When our foot slips, he is there. He is, he is our rock. He is our fortress. God is with us during the times of suffering. And we are blessed. To be blessed is to have God's favour rest on you. Is to be the recipient of God's good promises and grace. Now there is a false gospel that has spread in many churches today that says that you are only blessed by God if your external circumstances are going really well, if you're financially well off, if you're living healthily and without sickness and without mental, uh, any mental health problems, well then you're blessed by God. But that is a, a lie, that is a false gospel. Because our blessedness doesn't rely on our external circumstances. It's not about how we fare in this life. But instead, God tells us through his word that our blessedness relies on being the recipients of his promises, which are found in his word. His promises which are fulfilled in Christ. Blessed is the one who God teaches from his law, from his word. And so we here this morning are blessed when we hear the good news of the gospel from God's word and believe it. The good news of God's promises fulfilled in Christ. That while Jesus died at the hands of wicked men, he actually died for our sin, for our wickedness. We deserve that God would shine forth and rise up in vengeance upon us for we have lived as if God doesn't see, as if God doesn't notice. We've transgressed the God of the universe. We've acted wickedly towards him. But this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus on the cross was dying for our wickedness. Jesus on the cross took God's vengeance for us. Jesus on the cross drank the cup of God's judgment for us. This is what the Bible calls propitiation, where God poured out his anger upon himself in the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, suffered that anger for us. Blessed are we when we are taught from God's word, when we hear this gospel, when we believe it. Because instead of avenging us, Jesus stands in our place. How blessed are we? And when we suffer now, it only serves to make us more like our Saviour Jesus. For it says in verse 14, the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. In the song, The Rock of Ages, we sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, hide me now my refuge be. A cleft in a rock is a place where you take cover. When the storm comes, you can hide in a cleft and you can stay warm and dry while the storm passes over you. Well, Jesus is our cleft in the rocks. He is the one that keeps us safe and secure when God avenges because he has paid for our wickedness. He has died for our sin. And so God does not forsake his people. He provides relief. He's there with us. And so we come to our last question now. When? When will God shine forth and rise up? 
When is there going to be justice for people like Kitty Genovese? Or for the psalmist? Or for the many of God's people throughout the world who are suffering at the hands of the wicked? When? Well, the question kind of remains a little unanswered, but we do see that it will happen. In verse 13, it'll happen when a pit is dug for the wicked. In verse 15, we see that judgment will be founded on righteousness. Wickedness will be dealt with once and for all. And it says in verse 15, the upright in heart will follow it. Those who, like the psalmist, desire to live for God and for honour God, desire his righteousness, desire his justice, desire for the wickedness and the evil in our world to be dealt with. But the question is still on the psalmist's lips, when? Or in verse 1 it says, how long? And he asks specifically in verse 16, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against the evildoers? And the answer is God will. God and his son Jesus. Jesus who rose from the dead. Jesus who now reigns with God at his right hand will come to judge the living and the dead. See, the psalmist knows wickedness has a time limit. God will act. Verse 23, he will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Wickedness will not go unpunished. It will not go unchecked. The murderer of Kitty Genovese will face judgment. Those responsible for stealing, for domestic violence, for neglect will face the judgment of God. God will act. He will not stay silent. A time for judgment is coming. And we we see this in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to be reading from verse 2. It says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. We don't know when he will do this, but we know that he will. Evil is not going to have the last say. God is watching. God does notice. God is a God who will avenge. And if anything, for us here this morning, we should highlight why we need to turn to Jesus, to turn to God and let him to be our rock and our refuge, just like he is for the psalmist. Because he will give us solace in this evil world. He is the one who can give us peace. Because he saves us not only from our own wickedness, but promises a time where wicked will no more terrorize this world. Will you turn to God as your rock and refuge? Will you cling to Jesus, knowing he's our saviour, our cleft in the storm? The wicked believed that God did not notice, that God did not see. And we need to make sure that here this morning that we don't fall into that same trap of thinking that God doesn't notice, that God doesn't see. And I think that's particularly true when we are on the receiving end of evil. We can fall into the trap of believing the same lie when we're seeing injustice And it looks like nothing is happening. When we see people get away with murder and nothing happens, we can forget 
that God has promised to call to account, to avenge those who do evil. Now, how do we uncover whether we're believing that lie? Well, with whatever situation you find yourself in, if you start to believe that even the God of the universe can't save you from that situation you find yourself in, that you start thinking that he doesn't care about that situation that you find yourself in, that you think maybe he's turning a blind eye and you end up in this a pit of despair. It'll show itself in an unwillingness to cry out to God, shine forth, rise up, act. Instead of active trust, we can become despondent. When you're suffering and and someone comes to you and tries to encourage you with the truth of God's word, encourages you to see that while the wave is crashing down and while the suffering might suck, the God will rise up, the God will act, but then we can just too easily just, if we're believing the lie that God doesn't notice and God doesn't see, we can just shrug it off. We can scoff at it. Now, Romans 8.28 is a verse in the Bible that says, our God is working for the good of those who love him. But we can start to think that's a little bit cliche and forget the truth behind it, that in fact God is working for our good. God disciplines those he loves. The psalmist says, blessed are those whom he disciplines. So we need to know that God does care. He cares more than we care about the evil and the injustice in our world. And we need to know that when we're suffering, it is okay for us to cry out to God and call out to God like the psalmist, shine forth and act. And we can do that with great confidence because God has shown us through the Lord Jesus Christ that he will avenge because Jesus is coming back. We don't need to cry out from a place of despair or despondency, but from knowing that we are blessed by God because Jesus died in our place. And We need to know this when we're suffering, but actually we also need to know it. You might be in this room and you might be going through suffering, but I would say there's a lot of people here this morning and life is just going along quite fine and dandy. But we need to know this truth now so that in those moments when we do suffer at the hands of other people, we turn to God as our rock and refuge, that we call out to him. A few weeks ago, actually it's probably months ago now, uh, Andrew Thorburn was hired by Essendon AFL Club as its CEO. And if you followed the story, you know that having been in the role for less than 24 hours, uh, he was forced to resign. Uh, Andrew is a Christian, and he was forced to resign because the church that he was part of taught the Bible faithfully. The media didn't respond to much about and- what, how Andrew responded to this because Andrew kind of kept to himself, so they, they didn't really know. But as a Christian, having lost his job because he was a Christian, I wonder what his response was. Was it a confident crying out to God? Rise up, shine forth, 
Did he look to God as his rock and his refuge? I hope so. That's a situation that many Christians throughout the world face. The wicked in this world is real. The suffering is real. There's real pain. There's real consequences. And it's in these situations we need to cry out to our God. Rise up. Shine forth. Our God, the God who avenges. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a world where there is so much evil. There is so much injustice. And so like the psalmist, we cry out, rise up, shine forth. And we ask, Heavenly Father, well, firstly, we thank you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you sent your son Jesus into the world, who died at the hands of wicked men, so that we can look to you as our rock and our refuge and know that there is forgiveness and peace found in you. And Heavenly Father, we look uh, towards that day when Jesus will come back and he will set everything that is wrong right, uh, when he will avenge and the wicked will be no more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.